You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. Y'all go ahead and grab a seat. Y'all doing good this morning? Yes, man. Who is ready to praise God just because you got an extra hour of sleep, right? Like, man, it's so good. Or you can, like one man told me this morning, I just watched Sports Center for an hour longer, so I'm just as tired. I'm like, that's on you, man. That's on you. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Revelation. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 20 in just a few moments. Revelation chapter 20. Um, if you're visiting this morning, this morning we're actually finishing a series we've been calling The Book, where we've gone through pretty much almost all the books of the Bible. We've coupled up some of them, like Second and Third, Second and Third John, for example, but we've been going through all the books of the Bible and seeing different themes. It's been fun to dive into books that we maybe wouldn't normally study. And it brings to conclusion, obviously, in the book of Revelation this morning. And next week, we're going to start a little three-week series on uh, really what the church is about. What is the church? Like, what are some of the basics of a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church? And so looking forward to that. But today, we're in Revelation as we wind out, wind out our series, finish our series, The Book. We're going to be in verse 11 in chapter 20 in just a moment. You know, if you're familiar with, with Revelation at all, um, it really, actually, on a, on a side note, people ask sometimes, like, uh, you know, what do you believe? There's premillennialism, there's postmillennial, there's amillennial, uh, and di- different ideas on what Revelation is about. And I love what a lot of pastors say. They say, I'm a panmillennialist. And they just say, I believe it'll all pan out, right? That G- it's a bad preacher joke, but that Jesus wins. We know that. Amen. Like we can, if you can't agree on that as a Christian, then I don't don't think you're a Christian. Like we agree on that. Jesus wins. But it really, it does. It tells us the story of the end of what's to come. Even the days we're living in now, but certainly the days to come, what's ahead of us. And because of that, like we shouldn't be caught off guard when those things come because God has warned us. My wife, Lauren, uh, she's an only child and all growing up, she just assumed as an only child that when she turned 16, she would get a what? She'd get a car, right? Like still kind of a sore subject actually with her family. <laughs> but she, she just assumed that hey, I'm an only child. Of course, I'm gonna get a car. And so as she got older, she would talk about it. And her dad uh, would always say to her, I, Lauren, I, I'm not gonna get you a car. Like you need to, you need to save your money. I, I'm not gonna get you a car. But she always felt like, oh, come my dad loves me. He'll get me a car. So time passes. Her 16th birthday, she's, you know, what's in the driveway? <laughs> like all day kind of looking. And so finally reaches a point where her dad's like, on her 16th birthday, her dad's like, I told you, I, I'm not going to get you a car. But she still was like not believing it, right? It's my 16th birthday. There's no vehicle in the driveway. And so her dad, he wasn't lying that whole time. He had warned her, he had told her, and that's actually what happened. She didn't get a car. And so she had the privilege of driving what she affectionately named Big Mama. It was a blue Chrysler minivan. What year was it, Lauren? 92, baby. <laughs> and, um, and she had some fuzzy dice hanging from the rearview mirror, you know, classic. But I remember when, uh, when we met, she'd been driving her for a while, 
all through high school and college, which she said in college, as just a heads up college students, in college it was kind of cool because all her friends always wanted to ride with her because she had room for them, right? So there are perks to having a minivan, just saying. Um, all the moms and dads are like, yeah, minivans rule, right? So no one, no one got excited about the minivan. <laughs> I remember our first date, I, I walk into the car and I'm not thinking anything of or the van, I said, I'm not thinking anything of minivan. This is awesome. Get her in the minivan. And I'm going to walk back to my car. And uh, she says, hey, I'll, it takes a while for my van to go in reverse. So I'm, I'm just, I'll be sitting here for a minute, which I was like, ah, you're funny. Hey, awesome. Had a great time. See you soon, right? So I go back to my car and I'm waiting in my car for her to leave. And like five or six minutes have gone by. And I'm like, man, is she okay? What's going on? Like, did I do something wrong? So I get out of my car, go back over and like knock on the window. She rolls the window down. Right, <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, I'm just like, is everything good? You you haven't left yet?" She's like, "No, literally, it takes eight minutes for my van to go in reverse once I turn it on." Like, <laughs> I'm like, "Oh," and so I, hey, look, I, t- I literally I tell her, I said, "Hey, my home church, we have a Cars for Christ ministry." And, and these men love to fix vehicles. And she, at that point, she's like, we're not poor. My dad just won't buy me a car, okay? Like, Ugh. And then she told me the whole story of how, like, she should have saved her money. She should have known. Because all along, her dad told her, I'm not buying you a car. Still to this day, he's not bought her a car, right? So, which now, now it's on me. Um, <laughs> I, I tell that story because in a similar way to to. Lauren's dad the whole time saying like, I love you, but I'm, I'm telling you the truth and her not really believing him and then being surprised when on her 16th birthday, there wasn't a car for her. In a similar way, because of the book of Revelation, we not need be surprised at what lies ahead of us. Like we're gonna see, there's some things coming we're gonna see in the text here in a second that we should be preparing for right now. And on that day, we're not gonna be able to be like, Oh, come on, God, I thought you were messing with me. Like, I think God has a sense of humor, for sure. Like, that's where humor comes from, from God. But the Bible is not a joke, amen? Like, these are not just like, well, this may happen. No, he's, he's telling us what's coming our way. Where we're gonna, excuse me, where we're gonna pick up in, in chapter 20 and verse 11, just a, a little bit of context. At this point, the earthly millennial reign of Christ, a thousand years of Christ's reign on earth has come to an end. Satan, the Antichrist, all the demons have been defeated. If you look back earlier in chapter 20, they've been thrown in the lake of fire to be tormented day and night, forever and ever. So we're jumping into an intense place, serious place in Scripture. And before we read verse 11, I'm just going to ask you just to, to pray with me for a moment. God, I pray that you would just have our attention this morning, that your word would would speak to us and maybe wake some of us up. Lord, for those that that don't know you, our desire, and I don't think your desire is just to scare people, but Lord, to draw people to yourself so they see the hope of the gospel this morning. And God, for believers, would we maybe be would your Holy Spirit maybe open our eyes to some, some things, some sin in our lives, but also open our eyes to, to the beauty of Jesus? I'm gonna ask you with your head bowed and eyes closed, just to take a moment and just, just 
pray, talk to God, ask that he would speak to you this morning. God, we love you and just trust that your spirit will work in our lives and your word will speak powerfully to us this morning. You know, we pray, amen. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. This is John writing. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Who's seated on it? Christ himself. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each one was judged according to their works. First point we need to see this morning. All of us will stand before the all-knowing God. All of us will stand before the all-knowing God. This, This picture of all of humanity, everyone who's ever lived coming before Christ on the throne. It says a great white throne. So reminding us that God is all-knowing, all-powerful. And it's it's white, it's it's symbolizing he is perfectly just. So he's not just an earthly type judge. He is a perfectly just God, a perfectly just Judge. And it says that earth and heaven fled from his presence. No place was found for them. So in, in, in one sense, uh, this is the, the beginning of the old passing away and the new coming, the new heavens, the new earth coming. But there's also the sense of all of humanity that's ever lived standing before Christ on his throne with nowhere to hide. All, all, the, all the things you maybe want to hide or cower behind, all of those things have fled away it's just humanity before Christ on the throne. It says, all were there great and small. And by the way, there, there's a few differing opinions. I think the majority of scholars that would be in this camp believe that believers are here as well, partly because uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear, all of us, before the judgment seat of Christ. So I believe that, those standing before Christ in this moment on his great white throne, it's, it's saints and sinners. It's every single one of us. And he says, the text says, verse 12, great and small. So there before this throne, you've got Jeff Bezos. You've got Mother Teresa. You've got the homeless man down on Broadway. You're there, I'm there. Your neighbors are there, your your classmates are there. Standing before Christ on the throne. And we're gonna be judges as according to our works. So there will be, before the living God, with nowhere to hide. Him seeing everything you've ever 
said, done, or thought. And he's not comparing you to other people in the crowd, so to speak. Christ is the standard. His holy perfection is the standard. That should terrify you a little bit. It, it terrifies me. Let me ask you, <clears throat> sorry. Have you hand me that water right there? Sorry, you didn't know it was crowd participation this morning. Thank you. <clears throat> what are the things you're doing today, the things that you're thinking, saying, doing, whatever, that on that day will make you cower and hang your head in shame. All of us are gonna give an account. Yes, even Christians, we're giving an account for what we've done with this life. Oh man, it's all good, there's grace. Yes, there is grace, but you're gonna give an account. All of us will stand before the all-knowing judge. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop just with him looking at our works. If you read on in verse 14, it says, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. What's going on here? So, a couple things to consider. So first, the, the lake of fire. We are, I mentioned this earlier back in verse 10 of chapter 20 where it says that Satan and all his demons are thrown into the lake of fire. This is hell, right? A place that scripture describes as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's a weird word, right? That you're, you're so stressed and anxious and you're in such pain that you're grinding your teeth because it's so terrible. It says it's a place of eternal torment. This is not you just go there and you cease to exist. No, this is forever and ever. So those people who their names were not found written in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fire. So just as a quick backtrack, that's another reason why I believe this is saints and sinners before the great white throne judgment because some people's names apparently were found in the, names, in the Lamb's book of life and some were not. If your name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, in the book of life, you're thrown into the lake of fire, into hell. I don't know about you. I want my name in that book. I, I, I didn't mean to say it earlier. I kind of gave the, the thunder away here, but it says the book of life here. We want our name in there. What is this book of life? A couple other places in, uh, if you just look over to the right, at least in my text, it is just one page over. In 2127, chapter 2127, it describes this same book as the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life. And you don't have to turn there, but in, in back in chapter 13, verse eight, it describes the same book and it kind of qualifies it, describes it as the book of life of the lamb who was slaughtered. Who is the lamb that John is referring to here? Jesus, yes, he's referring to Christ. It's, it's really, you can even 
It's kind of picturesque of Isaiah 53, the lamb that was slaughtered on our behalf. By his wounds, we are healed. His punishment brought us peace. So Jesus, the lamb of God, was slain, was literally slaughtered on a cross. And if your name is not in his book, then you're going to hell. So the question, how do I get my name in the book? That's a valid question this morning. If you're not sure if your name is in the Lamb Book of Life, you should be leaning forward this morning going, how, do, how does that happen? How does that happen? John, the same John that wrote Revelation, that wrote the Gospel of John, tells, says that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through what? Close. I love it. Man, I, seriously, thank you, man. What a be brave, bro. I love it. Through Christ, right? Earlier in John chapter one, it says, those who believed in his name, Jesus, he gave, right to, he gave them the right to become the children of God. How do you get your name in the Lamb's book of life, Jesus the slaughter lamb? You turn from your sin, you turn from trying to earn God's favor on your own and you turn to Jesus and say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Romans 10 tells us that you believe in your heart and confess with your Lord, excuse me, believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead and confess him as Lord and you will be saved. You call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. So not, you get all your life together, right? No, you call on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. So it's interesting here. It doesn't say, well, if the people were really good, they went to heaven. If the people were bad, they got thrown in the lake of fire. No, if their name was in the Lamb's book of life. Here's the second point we have to see. This is so important. There is no scale, only a Savior. There is no scale, only a Savior. I'm gonna ask the, the, the worship team to, to come on up and, and please do not be distracted by them coming up. Like, man, don't, yeah, don't miss what God's saying this morning as they're coming. We're judged for our works. We're accountable to God. But also, what, so is it, are you, you go to heaven based on your, your, your works or, or the Lamb's book of life? It's the Lamb's book of life, but your works certainly reveal if you knew the Lamb, Amen. But here's how it doesn't work. It's not that you're before the great white throne and Christ is like, all right, put all your good stuff you did on here and put all your bad stuff on here and let's try to weigh it out. And ooh, that's a close one. Like, no. The reality is, scripture tells us that even our good works is as filthy rags before God. So it's not that God, Jesus is like, oh man, you're pretty close there. No, we are dreadfully sinful and hopeless apart from the finished work of Christ on the cross. There is no scale. Your only hope is Jesus Christ. So if you're sitting here this morning like, man, like, I could have been pretty good. I've done some right things. That's not the measurement. The measurement of, of are you going to heaven or hell is do you know Jesus Christ? Ephesians 2 tells us we're saved by grace, not by works. So again, there's no, I don't know. No, there is no scale, only a savior. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? And this is why, if you have as a, as a Christian, this is why we love Jesus, amen? Because we know that nothing we can do can, can earn favor with God, can earn us salvation, can keep us from the lake of fire. It's only 
the lamb who was slain for us. That's why he's our, he's our hope. He is our absolute everything because he's our savior. Apart from him, we are hopeless. You know, I think it's appropriate as we're finishing up this series, the book, to think about the fact that really from beginning, Genesis 3, the Proto-Evangelion, from the beginning of the Bible, all through it, it what? Everything points us to who? To Jesus, yeah. That's why it's a Sunday school answer, because it's all about him. I think it's the third point you've got to see this morning, really as we round out this series, is that from beginning to end, the book is all about Jesus. It's all about him. That's why our lives as believers is to be to be all about Christ, centered around him, the savior, the hope of the world. From beginning to end, it all points us to Jesus. That's why as Jake Stockton says, in Genesis, we see Christ as the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head. In Exodus, he is our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is our pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, we see Jesus as the captain of our salvation. In Judges, we see Jesus as our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer redeemer who redeems us from our sins and gives us a family and a hope and a future. In first and second Samuel, we see he is our trusted prophet and he slays our giants on our behalf. In Kings and Chronicles, he is the reigning king who reigns perfectly and with justice and righteousness and gives us hope and peace. In Ezra and Nehemiah, we see that he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. So those things that you consider hopeless and just throw it away and give up on it because there's no hope. No, because of Jesus, there's always hope for your life. In Esther, we see that he is our Mordecai calling us out and saying, hey, for such a time as this, I've created you. I have plans for you. Like Ephesians says, there's good works for you because you've been saved. There's good works planned ahead of time before you. And Joe, we see that he is our ever living redeemer and that he walks with us through the darkest nights and the darkest valleys. In Psalms, he is our good, faithful shepherd. He, he hears our cries, he answers our prayers. He, he bottles up our tears in a bottle and keeps record of them. He, he keeps count of the times that you toss and turn on your bed at night because he is a faithful, loving, good, shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, we see that he is wisdom. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. So we look to Jesus for wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he is our loving bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is our prince of peace. So if you're walking with the prince of peace, as you walk with him, you do have peace regardless of your circumstances. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch of salvation. In Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. He weeps, excuse me, the weeping prophet. He weeps with those who weep. 
In Ezekiel, we see that Christ is the one who gives us a new heart and a new spirit to walk with God, to know Him, to, to know Him, to actually experience Him in our daily life. In Daniel, we see Him as the God Most High, that no other God can compare with the living Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the everlasting King of the universe, the Ancient of Days. In Hosea, we see He is the faithful husband, forever married to the backslider. Well, they're a backslider. We all are backsliders at one point or another. Jesus is the faithful husband who continues to pursue us over and over and over again. In Joel, we see is that he is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit and fire, fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. That's why in Matthew he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In Obadiah, we see that Jesus is mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. All of us were in a distant land. And Christ came to save us. In Micah, we see that he is the messenger with beautiful feet, that he left heaven to come and to rescue us. In Nahum, he is our avenger. Every wrong will be made right. In Habakkuk, he is the evangelist who, come, who came to bring us good news. In Zephaniah, we see he is our savior. In Haggai, he is our restorer. And Zechariah, he's the fountain opened up for sin and uncleanliness. So you've got those stains of sin on your life, you come to Jesus and there's forgiveness and healing in his blood. And Malachi, we see he's the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. And Matthew, we see that Jesus is the king of the Jews, but not just the Jews, he is the king of the world. And to him, every knee will bow. In Mark, we see Christ as the servant washing our feet. In Luke, he is the son of man feeling what you feel. John, he is God the son. Acts, we see him as the savior of the world. In Romans, he is the righteousness of God. So it's not that you could climb up and, and get to God through your goodness. No, he came down and placed his righteousness on you. So it's not just that your sins are forgiven, but that if you are in Christ, God looks at you and sees the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he is the rock which we build our lives on. In 2 Corinthians, he is the triumphant one. In Galatians, he is the one who sets us free from the burden of sin and the burden of the law. In Ephesians, he is the head of the church. In Philippians, he is your joy. In Colossians, we see he is your completeness, the supreme one. In 1 and 2 Thessalonians, he is our hope and our future hope that we long for. First Timothy, he is our faith. Second Timothy, he is our stability. In Titus, we see he is our truth. In Philemon, he is our encourager. In Hebrews, he is your perfection. Because we're not perfect, only Jesus is. In James, he is the power behind your faith. In First Peter, he is your example. In Second Peter, he is our purity, our only hope for purity. In First John, he is life. Second John, he is our pattern that we follow. In Third John, he is our motivation. In Jude, he is the foundation of your faith. In Revelation, we see that he is our coming King. From beginning to end, it's all about Jesus. Amen. He is our Father. He's our fortress. He's our our forever, he is our forgiver. He is holy and righteous and mighty and compassionate and gracious and slow to anger. He's all powerful. So Hebrews says that Jesus holds the universe together by the word of his power. So even while he hung, hung on that cross, he held the universe together through the word of his power. He's all knowing. He knows when you're crying. He knows why you're crying when you have no idea why you're crying. <laughs> 
He knows why you're laughing when you're not sure why you're laughing, you're just feeling giggly that day. He knows every single thing about you. He knows when you sleep and, and when you rise. He knows everything about you. You can't get away from Him. He's immutable. He's never changing. He always was, is, and will be. He never sleeps, never tires, never grows weary. Leaders cannot ignore him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't understand him. Science can't explain him. And you can't breathe without him. He is indescribable, uncontainable, incomparable, almighty God. He is our God. And forever, we will adore him. Y'all stand and sing with If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church.